Welcome to GRIT, the Real Estate Growth Mindset Podcast, hosted by Brian Charlesworth, founder of Sisu. Sisu provides growth automation software for real estate. You'll hear stories from real estate thought and technology leaders, team owners, and brokers on how they grew their business in a rapidly changing industry. You'll learn how to transform your brokerage and teams into a high-performing and analytics-driven business so you have a new, durable, competitive advantage against disruption in your market. So let's get right into it. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Grit Podcast. I'm Brian Charlesworth. I'm the founder of CSU and your host of the show. And today I have Justin Benson here with me. And uh, Justin started the Barra Agency recently. And uh, well, how long has that been, Justin? When did you start Barra? Uh, I've been doing this kind of work for a long time, but like officially, you know, hiring people and really going for it, you know, about a year and a half. So, okay. So it, it hasn't been that long, but, uh, no. you've accomplished a lot in that time. So, so Justin has a background running real estate teams. He's a real estate guru, as well as a nerd is what, how, how I think he introduces himself. So, yeah. So uh, I want to dig in before we talk about how you created the Barra agency and what you guys do. I'd love to learn more about like, how did you first become a nerd? Like, let's, let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about, let's talk about the nerd side of you to, to get started here, Justin, but anything else you want to add from a, just a, maybe a quick intro to your background? No, not really. I mean, he kind of nailed it. You know, I'm just like a, uh, I've, I've kind of just been a, a secret little nerd my entire life, funny enough. So like when you say like, how did you get into it? I don't, in high school, when friends are going on vacations and stuff, I was taking computer classes at like the Bry back when that was a university. Like I'd, I'd spend money to go take computer classes and I'd be building my own stuff. So I was just the sports guy up front, basically playing baseball and, you know, football. But at night I come home and like build computers. And I, I don't know Ed, for as long as I can remember, it's just the stuff that I, if I get bored at night and I can't sleep, the stuff I'm going to look at on my phone is like, Oh, I wonder if I can get this little AI bot to do this thing. You know, like I, it's, yeah. it's just very intriguing and fascinating to me. So. Okay. So you've just always been, since high school or maybe even earlier, just always interested in technology, seeing what you can, what you can build, what you can accomplish with it, what you can solve. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I've tried to deviate from that path a few times. Like I went to college, got a biochemistry degree. I have two parents that are like serial entrepreneurs separately of each other. Like instead of flipping houses, they flip companies. So uh, I was raised in a pretty weird background and they, basically said, our world is really stressful. This whole entrepreneur thing, you're really smart. You should like be a doctor or something, you know, so that nice and steady. So go and get a biochem degree, get into med school, staring down the barrel at 12 more years of school, essentially. And I just, I got cold feet and pulled the plug, man. Like I just, right before it was supposed to go down, I pulled the plug and me and a close friend started a little IT company called Link Technology back in the day. And uh, we started, at, instead of going to med school, I built a little cloud storage company, essentially back before there was cloud storage, when it was Windows 98 servers plugged into the corner of our office somewhere that was like running all of our emails and all that good stuff. If power goes down to your building, then your 
email servers go down, right? So it was really expensive for companies to access their files remotely. So we built this little program that you could access those files remotely from. And uh, we lacked the vision of what that software could be one day. My business partner at the time ended up getting this dream job opportunity to go work for Disney Studios. And he became a really high up person at Disney Studios uh, engineering team over there. And uh, <laughs> little did we know, we sold it to a smaller IT company here in Phoenix. And we had been building Dropbox without even knowing it. So I was gonna looking say, back on my the, life. That was pre-Dropbox, pre-Google. And uh, yeah, you guys it's a real bummer. Down that road, you, you may be a billionaire today. Who knows? Exactly. And instead, I'm not. But it's okay. I when I market really great ideas, it's not it, it's not just one person that has that great idea. But there is just one person that has the vision for where it could be, and we lack the vision for what that product could be one day. Yeah. You know, we were young, 19 year old kids too. So yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, I think I'm glad you brought that up because I think you know. You said it's the vision. Everyone has ideas, right? And these same ideas, yes. the idea of Sisu had been, I'm sure thousands of people had had it before me. Uh, yeah. But then you talk about the vision to execute on. That's part of it. But another part of it, in my opinion, is really just the execution piece, right? I mean, Execution is everything. Ideas, yeah. ideas are really don't mean anything, right? <laughs> because right. everyone has a thousand ideas. Every day I hear thousands of ideas. Question is, who's going to execute on those? Yeah, exactly. I had a, I growing up, I had this like, I remember in junior high, I had this like Sunday school teacher. And I remember going to her as like a kid. And it, for some reason, it's getting grained in my brain. He, I went back to her name of Kathy and I said, Hey, Miss Kathy. I really want to be reading my Bible more, you know, like little Justin, like 14 year old Justin. And uh, he, he turned around and she goes, well, are you? And I went, uh, well, no, no, I'm not. And she said, well, then don't come back to me until you are. And I went, wow, that's that, that was a mental shift for me as a, as a young person to go, oh, just because I want to do it like that matters none. You know, the execution of actually creating a plan and following through with it and having the title of your podcast, the grit to see it through, you know, yeah. I mentor some young, younger guys coming out of college, getting into business. And they always ask, Hey, what's the number one thing that you can teach me? I'm like grit, the ability to stay in it when it's hard, because yeah. if you go ask my wife, some days I'll come home and say, I don't think I'm capable of this. I should just burn it down and go get a real job basically. Right. And then other days I'll come home and I think that I'm king of the world and it just yeah. ping pongs back and forth, you know, all the time. But the ability to stay in the game when it's really, really hard and see it all the way through is monumentally important. And I see that atrophying in society more and more and more as, you know, we hire young people here, developers or whatnot. One of the things that we're trying to instill in our employees over here, and it's our core value number one, is do what you say you're going to do. Basically, the yeah. summary of that is grit. If we say we're going to do it, we're going to do it, you know, so. Yeah, and I mean, if you read the book, Grit, you know, it's it's all about, hey, you know what? You fall down. It's about how you get back up. It's about It's about what you learn from falling down. It's about what you learn from those mistakes you've made. So uh, resiliency. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. I agree. It's it's the single most important thing that uh, an entrepreneur needs to have anyway in, in yeah. growing a business. And, you know, I would say every real estate team owner is an entrepreneur as well. And you totally. see a lot of them shutting down. You see a lot of them in the hard times 
digging deep and saying this one, I'm going to take market share. So that's a, a topic I really wanted to talk about today. But before we go into that, you moved from building technology to running a real estate team. How did you, how did you get into that shift? <laughs> On accident, you know, I, after the technology company, a uh, thing called Apex Fun Run, built this fundraising company with a buddy, Scott Donnell. And uh, the day that I had exited that company, I was just supposed to get married in a month from then. So I was going to take the month off, go on a honeymoon, figure out what I was going to be all over again when I grew up. And instead, literally that day, on my way to a brewery to go celebrate with some friends, my old friend, John Glutch, called me out of the blue and said, hey, man, I, do, I know you're doing that you know, fundraising thing, but have you ever thought about building a real estate company? And I, I like chuckled. I mean, there's no, that had never crossed my mind in the path of where my life could go, but he's close. Like his daughter is my goddaughter. His father-in-law married my wife and I, you know? So instead of taking a month off, I went and got a real estate license, came back from the honeymoon and started building that real estate team uh, with John. It was just, you know, me and him and our hoodies and board shirts, like high-fiving every time the phone rang, making up excuses why we had to meet clients at Starbucks because our like crappy office was not good enough to meet clients at, you know? So it was a fun journey from building that to operating in three states and selling thousands of houses. And it's it was a, a really fun journey building that process together. And uh, we're still dear friends to this day. When we started Bar Agency, Clutch Group was client number one. So yeah, it was a really fun journey. After that, funny enough, the only reason I left that is because me and some friends had this lifelong dream come true, got signed to a little record label to write three records. So this little deviation in my life, oh, where I kind of did that. And I got, you know, it, it didn't keep the lights on, you know, funny enough, there's not a lot of money, even in millions of streams, I get royalty checks, it's basically just grocery money every quarter, essentially. So it's not life changing, uh, unless you're really on the road performing all the time. And I got a young family, I just don't want to be gone all the time. So I started doing some consulting. And then what who was just supposed to be another consulting client ended up becoming a partner. And we built another real estate company, kind of around the military community here in Arizona. And it was a lot of fun. In like two and a half years, it went from just her and a TC to number one VA real estate team in all of Arizona, you know, so uh, it was a lot of fun kind of taking everything that I'd learned in the first place at Glutch Group and kind of reproving it to see if it would, if, if we just got lucky over here, if that methodology actually did work in a repeatable process. So it was cool proving some of that. So. So you've gone from nerd to realtor, real estate team owner, to musician, artist, yep. fame, fortune, back to Back not so to much at least grocery yes. money, right? <laughs> and then back to back to real estate. And then all of a sudden, I think you were kind of like me. I mean, when I jumped into Springs real estate team to help her grow that, she had a small team of five agents, now 75 agents. But you know, I saw the problems. I came from a technology background, jumped into real yep. estate and saw the problems. And that's how CISU got started. So let's talk about how Barra Agency got started. Yeah, on like I kind of said on accident, um, I, after that second real estate company, I kind of took about six months off of life and I just like hung out with my family. I had the fortunate ability to be able to do that. And, uh, 
in the middle of that kind of reset, uh, John Glutch uh, actually invited me out to this thing in Mexico uh, that Dan Beer and Kyle Whistle were throwing, a uh, big EXP recruiting event deal. And uh, I was not there to be a part of the recruiting event. I was there to drink margaritas by the pool and hang out with my friends when they were all done. And uh, through conversations there, I kind of started talking to people about technology that I'd built for previous real estate companies I'd been a partner in. And lo and behold, you know, here's five more partnership agree- like offers from the large teams across the nation asking if I would do it for them. And uh, I was honest with them. I, I just said, that, hey, the reason why I kind of left that last team is that I just burnt out, like burden- building real estate teams. Like I was just very burnt out. So I was honest with everybody and said, I think I have like a year in the gas tank of like building another real estate team before I burn out all over again. But the thought crossed my mind, what they were looking for was not something I took for granted was when I was a partner in a real estate company, if the technology didn't exist, we just built it. And if the integrations that existed between this technology softwares and the platforms didn't exist or fit our business practices, we just built new ones instead. So that was commonplace for me, like Mm -hmm. molding and shaping technology to the way that we operate, right? Like take our standard operating procedure, not our system. The By system, I don't mean technology. By system, I mean like your operating procedures for all the things that happen in your company. Take that, use that as a guiding star, and then use technology to help execute on that system at a really high level, right? And uh, bending and molding the technologies that exist to execute at a high level. Well, I found out that I had been living in my own little world and that was not commonplace in the real estate industry, that that was not a thing. And what they were looking for was not, you know, a COO or an integrator or somebody, somebody like that. They were actually looking for like more of a CTO, chief technology officer. And the reality is that even the largest real estate teams don't have, they're not SaaS companies. There's not 40 hours a week worth of for a CTO. And the salary expense of a CTO plus, you know, if they hired me as CTO, I can't do it all on my own. I'm like a kitty coder. I'm, I, I can get some stuff done in JavaScript, but I'm not going to be able to be a full stack guy. I need another developer along with me to help execute on my job. Well, there you go. Full time, you're staring down the barrel at 450 grand a year in salary expense, just that alone. And that's just not going to work. And there's not 40 hours a week of it. So we I essentially said, hey, there's a few teams here that are interested in this. I've never heard of a fractional CTO model in my entire life. I've heard of fractional CFO. I've heard of fractional CMO. And I was honest. I said, there, there might be a really good reason why. Why I've never heard of this. And I'm just naive to the fact of the complexities that it would take to run something like this. And um, we gave it a go. I said, let's just give it 90 days and see if it works. And at the end of this 90 day experiment, if it doesn't work, we can all high five and say we tried it. And if not, if it does work, then this is going to be great for everybody. And, you know, the end of that story is that it did work. And we raised a bit of funding around the idea of being a fractional CTO for uh, large real estate teams. And now it's me and a team of eight people here in Tempe, Arizona, backend developers, full stack developers, data scientists, systems engineers, uh, really handling the day-to-day technology stacks on not the just the practical level of building stuff for people, but also advising on, hey, this is the direction you should go because I've seen down the road over here. And this thing that you want to do is actually going to fall apart right here. And you don't see it yet because you haven't gotten there, but I can promise you that that's going to happen. So this is how we should probably build it instead. And kind of being that advising, consulting voice of reason inside of these organizations as well. So 
Yeah. Okay. So let's dive into some of the use cases. And it could be that from that first event, those first five people, like what is it they wanted you to do? And yeah, let's talk about that first. And then we can talk about how that's evolved. But like, what was the use case of, yeah, I want you to be my, you know, my fractional CTO. What does that yeah. mean? Like, What were the needs? Yeah. I mean, the needs are like everything under the sun technology, right? but yeah, where a lot of that stuff started in the very beginning was, you know, integration based. Like the way that we formed a relationship with you guys is that John really wanted to use CSU, but he was running on a CRM that does not natively integrate with CSU in some way. So I reached out to Zach and, you know, me and Zach, <laughs> I, I was just pinging Zach with questions about the API over and over again. Zach was like, who is this guy? He like, he, he knows what he's talking about. And um, Zach sent me the API documentation, just kind of going like, ah, I don't know, he's probably not going to figure it out. But I kind of checked the box. there. <laughs> and um, what's funny is that we did figure it out. We built this really seamless two-way sync between an outside system that integrates pretty flawlessly with uh, CSU. So it started with a lot of cleaning up inside operations where there was a lot of redundancy in the organization where they're double entering, triple entering data and making sure that we clear up all of that at a base yeah. level system. And that really is just foundational as far as a company is concerned. Let's take all of your standard operating procedures and make sure that it's flowing correctly from technology system to technology system. And let's make sure that we're not needlessly introducing complexity to an organization because as an organization grows, complexity naturally happens, but the individual solutions themselves need to be as simplistic as humanly possible. So that way, as those solutions stack and complexity is introduced into organization, it, the complexity is comprised of simple solutions opposed to a lot of spider web Frankenstein monsters situations, you know, and then, uh, after we got clear of a bunch of that stuff, it got into really interesting projects. Like uh, I've used this one, I've actually demoed it for a podcast with Zach way back in the day where we built this little, you know, you call it AI bot, you know, there's a lot of that stuff happening right now. Essentially it was a little bot that we had a, a, a client who a hedge fund was making like a hundred offers a day through them, right? So that was way too much to staff. So we built a little bot that the uh, purchase contract is uploaded and the bot reads and conceptualizes all the data, writes an email, sends it out to the listing agent automatically with like a little Giphy and makes it fun with all the documents attached to it. And then all of the data gets inputted into CSU and their backend systems automatically and files are archived into a Dropbox automatically. That happens from the moment that somebody clicks sign inside of DocuSign. All of that process that I just talked about was not done by a human. It was all done robotically with computers. You know, We have got into some pretty crazy uh, edge cases in those regards. And now present day, we have way more of that. But on a practical level, the, you know, CSU, for example, a really good example would be um, I run across people that have built these like custom Google Data Studios, right? They're a smaller team, build a giant custom Google Data Studio, and they really like the malleability of what it can do. But the problem with building a really custom thing, especially a reporting tool, is that it's really intensive on the databasing side to make sure that it runs correctly. And as you grow as an entity, it becomes very labor intensive to keep the data in line on your own little private database that you have going. And then maintaining the reporting engines that exist on top of that database becomes this, somebody's full-time job to do that, right? So what's fun is getting to advise people on why this custom solution doesn't work. And this isn't a CC plug. CC actually 
was a tool for us to go, oh, this is a solve for a bunch of our clients, you know? So like selfishly, CSU ended up helping us out because we went, okay, this thing is a mess over here. We can take CSU and plug it into that instead and feed CSU the data. And then great, if there is, I don't know, say they want a custom CEO dashboard that's going to conceptualize all of the information in like a snippet. Okay, then we can build a custom tool that is pulling the data out of CSU to show it to them in a way that maybe is not native in CSU, right? So we'll take the softwares and tune it to these organizational needs like that. So um, yeah, so a a lot of those things, I I wish there was a straightforward, clear-cut answer to what it is that we have built. It'd be easier if we were a product company where it it was, hey, here's this product that we offer, but it's not. We're a true blue service-based company where anything that you want to build, as long as the API is capable of it or the software is capable of it, we, we can build it for our teams. So. Cool. Well, I have a few questions for you, but one thing you should note is custom dashboards are something you'll be able to build in CSU here very shortly. So um, Heck yeah. anyway, so one of the things you talked about was, and, and I know you talk about this all this time, which so do we streamlining somebody's real estate business. So we also talk about automating their business. And I know you do that as well with your AI bots, right? So, I mean, <laughs> we we both see the same problem out there, which is, and I think coming from a technology background and seeing real estate teams enter the same information into five different systems. I mean, that's, that's the yeah. reality of that's still what most real estate teams are doing today, centering the same information into five systems. Well, yeah, CSU yeah. was really built to eliminate that. You should have your CRM and you should have CSU in our opinion, like that's all you need and an e-signature platform. Right. But you have a lot of, uh, you know, you have a lot of people come to you who are like, Hey, I really want to do this. And they want, they want custom things, but let's talk for a minute about the time that it saves. Let's say I'm doing 500 transactions a year. What does it mean to have two systems that communicate together versus five systems that don't. If you've been enjoying Grit, please help us continue to grow the channel by leaving a five-star review and sharing it with a friend. Now back to Grit. Exactly. I mean, at, at that scale, specifically speaking to that 500 transaction threshold, that's a funny little threshold in the real estate world. It's not just like an arbitrary number. There's some baseline systems that will fall apart if they're not designed correctly at that 500 unit count threshold there. And at that unit count, you are not looking for saving an hour from this task or an hour there. You're looking for five minutes here, three minutes there, 12 minutes there, because once you compile all of those time savings, you just found somebody's full-time job for a year in the mm-hmm. midst of it. So I always say that companies are built with great people, but it's not the technology. It's built with really great people and a really great vision and systems to execute, right? What ends up happening is these really great people become really great at their job and they get inundated with business and the tidewater is up here and they're all underwater and they can't figure it out. That's when you introduce technology to help bring that tidewater back down to your really amazing people can keep being really amazing people because that's the lifeblood of your company at the end of the day. The technology is just a tool to help them execute on that at a high level. So the, to kind of get back to your original point, we have a lot of people that come to us and they say, oh, we're using this thing and that thing and this thing and that thing and that And it's just, I guess the best analogy that I have for it is these teams have an idea of wanting to get to a thousand units a year, right? 
what, what they have built is essentially they had one little dinghy of a boat floating in the ocean and they took this thing and just tied it on to the end of it and took that thing and just tied it on. And now they have this amorbous little blob floating, right? Good luck crossing the Atlantic ocean with that thing. You, you will get swallowed by a wave and sink and it moves real slow. So the idea of simplifying solutions down to your point, a CRM, a reporting engine and a transaction management system that really does uh, outside of, you know, your marketing stuff, you know, you still need websites, you still need to generate leads, all of that good stuff. But on an operational basis, really great CRM, you need really great transaction management and you need really great reporting. Okay, cool. CSU and a good CRM checks all of those boxes. And at that point, you're now designing a ship that is meant to cross the Atlantic, not one that you accidentally tied together and duct taped together, right? So yeah. um, we see so many time savings and organizations where it it is painful switching systems and doing that stuff. I don't want to sugarcoat that. Migrating data from this old CRM to that one, it does cause a certain level of chaos initially in an organization, but we've never had somebody on the backside of that chaos get over here and go, oh man, I'm, I regret that I put all of that work into it. I want to go what back, we, right? And there's yeah, nobody, nobody's ever said they want to go back. No, every single time they, yeah, I have to preface it with, hey, this is going to take logistically probably six months to a year of really focused intensity from your company and from you as a business leader to really get this stuff together. But under after that is is done, you're going to have a ship that can go the distance. It, it, it was designed to get you exactly where you want to go. And it was built intentionally in that regard, right? So that's the thing that I love about the Sisu solution to that problem is that, you know, you have the communication standpoint that needs to be solved. Great. Something like follow-up boss does texting and all of that stuff that you need email communication. You need a good CRM to manage the flow of leads and disseminate that to your team really well. And then you need good reporting and then you need a really great transaction management system. Okay, in two systems alone, we just checked all of those boxes and we've removed so much complexity that is just needless in the organization at that point. So, yeah, yeah. So it's been interesting. I we ta- I brought up the number 500 and it's interesting that you say that's a key number. I've had a few team owners come to me and say, I'm never going to be able to get beyond 500 just because my admin team is not going to be able to handle this. And so I've always gotten them to commit to going all in with CSU and we've solved that. But I would say it even applies to like, let's say someone's doing 150 transactions. Usually, I mean, a lot of these guys are still using whiteboards to, to check off, you know, managing that contract to close process. It's crazy how I still see that whiteboards are in this, uh, in this game. But if it's not yeah. a whiteboard, it's a spreadsheet. And if it's not a spreadsheet, it might be Trello. And if it's not Trello, it might be Monday, you know, uh, yeah. or, or it might be some antiquated system from real estate that's been around so long that, it, you know, it's just a linear platform where it doesn't give them swim lanes and the ability to really, really pick things apart. But I guess my point is, as I go in and meet with some of these teams, I find that they're spending 20 minutes on average every time they have to put that same data into a new platform. And that platform they're putting it into provides them no reporting. So they don't, they don't have any way to know, you know, what's going on inside of there. They don't have any way to get automated information back out, you know? And so what's your thoughts, what's your thoughts on like, how do these teams get beyond uh, or, or any business get beyond 
using their employees to put the same data into multiple platforms because just that alone is a significant uh, time savings. Yeah, it, it's funny you'd hit on like 150. You're kind of speaking to the different growth stages of a real estate company, right? Like at 150, that could be one just rock star agent and a showing assistant and a TC at that point, right? Like it, that is possible to do that many transactions. You, they're not going to see their families ever, you know. Which I know a lot of people listening to this will empathize with that. But that is possible. So at that juncture, what's happening is that every all that information just kind of lives in your mind and in, in your TC's mind and your showing agent's mind and your team, right? It's not, it hasn't been put down on paper, but to break through that, we have to be able to hire people and have systems in place in order for them to be trained on. So to break from that 150 mark, that is the introduction of systems and operating procedures to do that really well. Okay, cool. 150 all the way up to 500. At 500, your team has grown so big that you are probably not even in production to some level as a real estate agent in your organization, or at least at some degree, your engagement in production has gone down. And now a big chunk of your job is coaching your team and your real estate agents, right? And your success as an entity relies on not your own ability to be a really great real estate agent because that only got you to 150. Now it really relies on you being a really great trainer and helping people grow and accomplish their dreams and financially, business-wise, whatever that looks like. Well, you get there and there is no data to coach people on. You don't know what they're doing on a daily basis. You have no clue what their activity looks like. And without that data, you can't set benchmarks for people to hit and have them grow and really be their coach at the end of the day, right? Yeah. That's uh, part of that deal is, you know, as a coach, I, I didn't love my coaches all the time. They were real jerks sometimes, right? But they pushed me to levels that I never thought that I could have gotten to. And that becomes your role. But you'll never break past that 500 mark if you don't have the one information uh, there to coach your team and get there. And then the, the second deal of that is some automation in place because you'll bottleneck on the transaction management side. So you're only operational. If you don't have some really great automation built in at that juncture, your only alternative is to keep hiring more transaction coordinators. And that gets expensive really fast on an overhead uh, basis for a real estate team. So now we need to introduce a little bit of technology. So that way, one transaction coordinator can actually execute at a much higher level. And now we have the foundation to break past that 500 mark. So yeah. Yeah. Well said. So this one thing you talked about on transaction management, I want to I want to point out because I remember one of my wife's biggest challenges in growing her business. She had a few transaction coordinators leave. Mm-hmm. And it was like she was starting over because yeah. she didn't have the, she didn't have the systems in place to just plug somebody else in, right? And that's right. that's really why I saw and that was a big part of what I wanted to solve because she would have to take, you know, 60 days retraining somebody on all of the stuff that needed to happen. Whereas now it's just in the CSU checkboxes or swim lanes or whatever, somebody, anybody can come in, they can be assigned those tasks and they can get those completed on a daily basis. Right. So now she had a transaction coordinator leave last year and it was, okay, I'm going to take this person and plug it, plug in a new person. No big deal. And so, so anyway, I just want to emphasize the importance of having systems in place so that you're not left in a bind if an agent leaves or if a team or if a TC leaves or even, you know, another admin, uh, if, as long as you have all your systems in place, even for things like onboarding agents, when you're recruiting agents, you need systems in place for that kind of stuff. So thousand percent. 
What what would you uh, add to that, Justin? I, I think the only thing I'd add to it is if a transaction coordinator is listening to this, like don't take that conversation as like, you know, technology replacing transaction coordinators. Transaction coordinators right. are infinitely valuable. To, that's why it is so painful when a tr- good transaction coordinator leaves because it yes. leaves this gaping hole in your organization that nobody else can fill. So this is not a replacement for transaction coordinators. It's to take a lot of the menial administrative stuff off of a transaction coordinator. So that way they can do the human side of things, you know, following up with title companies, consoling a client after they just got out of their inspection period and they didn't get everything that they wanted, you know, being able to have those human interactions and be present in those conversations, opposed to just being inundated by a bunch of manual tasks that have to be done over and over and over again. And you're right. I mean, a checklist system is a, you don't really have a business until you have those operating procedures down in place. At that point, you just have a bunch of people with high paying jobs because it's not replicable. If somebody leaves, you have to spend a ungodly amount of time getting somebody back up to speed. And what should be there as well for transaction coordinators are really bad at taking vacations because there's so much responsibility when you're a transaction coordinator. If there is a system in place like CC's transaction management software, somebody can just sign in as that TC and kind of execute while they're on vacation and not have to be bothered by the rest of it because it's all written down and notated and documented. It's just great culturally all the way around, but it is the non-sexy work of building businesses, building standard operating procedures and getting them down in a technology that can help it. But it is infinitely important to be able to scale really well and have people enjoy their jobs at the same time. So, Great. Well, Justin, just I know we're both don't have a lot of time left. So just I wanted to maybe just ask you, like, what what advice would you have for everybody in the industry today? I mean, I know you were sharing with me that uh, you had a few small teams leave when the industry Mm -hmm. started to change 90, 120 days ago. And then you had all these big teams come to you and say, hey, I have all these solutions. So like, what should somebody be doing today to prepare so that they're the ones taking market share when the market comes back to to where it's really thriving. Yeah, momentum is a funny thing, right? Like companies will throttle back on momentum when they feel like they're inundated with too much business, which is also a mistake because momentum is this hard thing that once it's generated, if you lose it, it's very hard to get it back essentially. So you have to be really cognizant about how you're carrying momentum into different market conditions and be thinking like, how are we going to engineer momentum moving into these, right? And practically speaking on that regards, it's not doing, don't stop doing the things that make you guys what you are at the end of the day. Like don't pull back on those things. There are things that, you know, on a PNL standpoint, yes, it's probably smart to pull back on some stuff. And those smaller clients that left us, it, I think that that actually made sense for them. And I had a ton of empathy for the reasonings for why they needed to go. But my advice to them on their way, because they'll they'll be back whenever the market, you know, turns. It wasn't a bad circumstance that caused them to leave. It really was just market conditions. My advice to them, like as they left, was to continue really focusing down on like double down on the human side of this business. Like take your real estate agents, make their dream come true, give them give them a vision for what kind of going back to the very beginning, like give them a vision for what their lives could look like and give them a vision for why it's worth it to become a really great real estate agent when times are hard, because if they can master it, like I, I was around, you know, on the the back side of the 2008 deal, 
we were really great real estate agents because we learned how to become real estate agents in a really hard market. Mm-hmm. The people that stick stick to it in this downed market right now, the people that actually keep going are going to come out of the backside way ahead of everybody else because they will become better agents than they ever thought that they could be. So to summarize that, you know, grit, keep, keep the grit going, you know, you keep, keep going, like do not stop because you only, you only lose when you quit. So this, this will change and this will pass. Yeah. Well said. Um, Shifting gears for just a second. I just wanted to get a little more into your personal life. So I know you're a big golfer. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, I know you played other sports. So like, what is it you like to do in your free time? Oh, geez. Free time. I don't have a lot of it right now. We expanded by a thousand percent last year, which you can understand (laughs) as CEO meant like I didn't sleep for the past year and a half, essentially. And I got a young family as well. I got a eight month old and a three year old. So honestly, if I were going to spend my spare time doing anything, it's, I used to have this dream about traveling and going to all these places. But as I get older, I actually want to do that less. And I'd rather just like be home going on walks with my daughter. I know this sounds like all cute or whatever. Maybe I'm just, this is sincere. Is like cute, I would just Justin. rather be. It, it is. Cute. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. It's not, it, this, I, I don't know. I've had some stuff in my life happen where, that really does mean the most to me, right? So uh, I just really love being able to turn off and spend time with my family in that regard. And then outside of that, hobbies-wise, yeah, I'm, golf is the infuriating thing that the little OCD hamster that lives in my brain loves to, I'll never conquer it. It will frustrate me for forever, but it is a puzzle that I'll never solve and I'll continue to keep working at. So I I found that thing in my life to keep <laughs> you know, uh, venting that energy into at the end of the day. And then, you know, music is still a very large part of my life. I, I, I joke a lot that I'm a musician masquerading as a business guy, you know, so that when things get hard or whatnot, you know, my guitar, piano, that kind of becomes my journal my outlet for that. Stuff. I was, so was going to ask what, what instruments you play, guitar, piano, anything else? Uh, guitar, piano, singer, songwriter, you know, I, I, can't play drums to save my life. I'm I'm mediocre at piano. Guitar is like my main instrument. Uh, that one I feel at home at. I actually feel really weird being on a stage without a guitar on me. I don't know what to do with my hands, whatnot. You have to learn piano as a songwriter. The piano is really the main way that you get the music into a computer to record. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of by necessity. But yeah, man, between family and a little bit of golf here or there and uh, picking up my guitar from time to time, don't have a lot of time for uh uh you know anything else outside of that in my life right now so yeah totally totally understand totally get that so what's the best way for people to get a hold of you justin uh the best way you know people are thinking about this sounds intriguing you know they they think that we could help them out then just go to baragency.com there's a big button to book a initial consultation all of those initial consultations are me and the company so uh that's to book a time with me to kind of chat through what you're looking through create a strategy and even if we don't end up working together my goal and agenda of those meetings is just to help leave people better than we found them you know so if i can give people advice to make sure we've we've had some people say hey yeah we're not ready for you we're going to come back in 6 months when we are and then they've made a bunch of decisions that I wish they had not made. And we had to spend, you know, the first two months undoing a bunch of stuff in those meetings. I do my best to try to set people off on a good path. to so that thing doesn't happen to us later on down the road. So that's the best way to, to get a hold of us for the time being. So 
Okay, I, I would like to add, I mean, now is a great time to get, start getting all of your systems dialed in so that, uh, yeah. again, this is the best time to take market share is when things like this mm-hmm. happen. The people that are dialed in were, are going to be the ones that end up taking the market share. So, uh, Justin, thanks for yeah. joining us today on the Grip Podcast and uh, to all of our listeners. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you guys for listening and feel free to give us a, a review so that we can get more people like Justin on the show. And uh, Justin, I'm looking forward to catching you on a golf course here in the near future. Next time I see you. <laughs> Let's do it, man. Yeah. You mean Zach, it'll be a blast. So. Okay. Awesome. Thanks for joining me today, Justin. Have a great one. Yeah. You too, man. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. If you have an interest in a free seven day trial of Sisu, go to sisu.co, S-I-S-U dot C-O. Make sure that you use the coupon code GRIT, that's G-R-I-T, to waive all your setup fees and receive a 10% discount on your subscription. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to subscribe, search GRIT, the real estate growth mindset on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. And with that, we'll catch you next time. Take care.